Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're here with our good friend Sean Wildermuth. We're going to have him on the show in just a minute to talk about some really cool stuff, gRPC. Mm-hmm. But uh, before that, um, well, let's check in. How have you been, man? Well, you know, coming towards the sort of end of summer, I've been spending time up on the coast. I've had a recording from the coast today, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. So I'm sort of surrounded by ocean. Life, you know, could be hard. Did not make anywhere near as much progress on the history of .NET as I hoped on the summer. So uh, Yeah, you mentioned that I'm, before. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's a battle, right? It's a lot of writing. So uh, I'm blocked out all of December to finish it, to look at uh, a spring uh, release next year. Is this your first book? Well, my first history book. I did tech book back in the 90s. Yeah. You know? Where back where you know you made your you, you got your author's advance and that was all the money you were ever going to make. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, and you and so you did a couple just to show you could do books and after that if you didn't if you wrote more you weren't learning. So. Yeah, that's that's my experience too. I wrote two books in the nineties and it was the same you learned. deal. I learned a lot <laughs> and uh, never want to do it again. Thank you very much. Yeah, and it, it, you know that's back in a time when the shelf life of tech books was so short. Right? Yeah, especially if you have the product name and version in the title. Yeah. Ask me how I know. Which is what which what's is what sold back then too. So you kind of need to do it. But yeah. Of course now this is a history book, so odds are it's not going to change all that much. No, not but, not uh, too much. Yeah. And of course it's the fun part now from the timeline that we're at is I'm going to get to talk about core three as well. And just the decision making that went into uh introducing WinForms and WPF on top of core, the sort of unification of core, ultimately, which will become .NET 5. So I'm hoping I'm going to fall in the window between core 3 finishing and before 5, .NET 5, the grand reunification ends. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, uh, I've been doing some really cool stuff, and I'll tell you all about it in Better Know Framework. So roll the music. Oh. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, I have a couple things. First of all, I, you know I love playing with GPS and mobile devices and stuff and trying to do that For sure. kind of geocaching thing, and I've written apps to, to test that out. So I like that. Well, a local um, uh, part of a, a vendor in the town, a, a, you know, somebody who owns a store mm-hmm. who's very um, interested in New London, uh, was tasked by the town to create a walking tour app. Now, I have created uh, walking tours for Keto Fest, right? We did it on paper. Right. And just using the historic buildings and all of that stuff, because there's a lot of history here in New London, Connecticut. So uh, I sent her that, and she says, this is great. Uh, when can we start? I've got X amount of money, which is about as much as I charge for f- creating a spec, right? It was right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I obviously we're going to be able to come up with the name of your app, but that's about it for this <laughs> <Yeah>. money. <laughs> but, you know, it's my town, right? I really feel so. I went oh, looking yeah. for um, an app that already does this that you can just use to design your own tour. And I found one. It's mm-hmm. called pocketsites.com. And it uh, only took me, you know, a, an hour to create a walking tour. And it's basically you use a map and you put waypoints and you add media, you add pictures and uh, text with links and video if you want and audio. And as you walk around and you go to that place, the, the thing pops up and you get nice. all this great geo-located media. 
You know, that totally makes sense. Why wouldn't this already be an app? Of right? course. Everybody wants this for every town. Of course. And they didn't want to write an app necessarily. They just wanted no. an app. Yeah. They wanted that walking tour thing. And why would you reinvent the wheel? Holy man, it's such a good idea. Why didn't I think of it? Well, I had actually thought of it a couple of years ago and I started working on it. But of course, like most things, it's like, you know, once I prove that it works, it's like not as interesting to me anymore. And so I got other things to do. Right. But yeah, I did prove that it worked and it's a data based um, GPS trigger device. Right. I mean, it's all it is. Yeah. So it, this is just geofencing done to the nth degree. Exactly. And, but there's a lot of decisions about that. Like how, you know, if it's a walking tour, you want the, uh, margin around the point to be a little less narrow you, you i mean a little more narrow sure because you're going to be walking and so you want them to be as close to the spot as possible but if you're driving right. you want that spot out in the street right you know so there's decisions to be made uh, anyway it turns out that it's really cool but that's actually not my better no framework believe it or not okay my better no framework is visualrecode.com Oh, what is this? This is an upgrade tool for moving from .NET to .NET Core. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you, this had to happen sooner or later, right? Yeah, it, it's not. It, you can try it for free, but it's not free, right? So they have a bunch of uh, conversions. One converts Web API to ASP.NET Core Web API. But the one that's really in, oh, and also WCF to ASP.NET Core Web API. That's interesting, interesting, WCF, right? But the interesting one is they also have WCF to gRPC, mm -hmm. which generates new gRPC source with the same functionality and data contracts, migrating your application to the latest .NET Core network API with a minimum of effort. Now, this, this is a basic description of what Mark Randall was talking about. Yeah, he sort of was. Yep, he wanted to mm -hmm. uh, to do something like this, but this isn't him. Um, but I haven't used it. Are you sure? It. Because his tool was called Recode. This might be him. Well, maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, maybe. Anyway, we don't know that for sure. But um, I haven't used it, but it looks really interesting, and, and I wanted to let Sean know about it and, you know, it maybe fit into the narrative of what we're going to learn today. So For there sure. you go, visualrecode.com. Cool. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off a of show 1488, which we did with Sean back in October of 2017. So a little while back, that was a show where we asked him about Vue. Uh, and as typical of Sean, actually, because he actually you know has strong opinions about things, right. it brought out some controversy. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's some folks that you know. There's a balance. If you go read through these comments, and there's lots of them, and Sean's responded to many of them. Some people are saying, "Could you please get someone who actually knows something about Vue on?" <laughs> and other people saying, "Hey, thanks so much for the really reasonable you know understanding of Vue." Right. And and so on. This particular comment comes from Aaron. And admittedly, two years ago, right? Because that show was back in 2017. It says, "Hi guys, great show as always. I've been listening." to your repeated we must do a view show comments the past few months each time wondered who will the guest speaker be hmm. what a well-rounded and informative show sean clearly brought a breadth of knowledge and drove meaningful conversation that at its core was informing but also about choice and best fit something that's often lost on these kinds of discussion you get you stuck to the mechanics and didn't give the issues of the one way to do everything Richard and Carl do a great job of playing a straight man in these discussions. I cannot tell if it's deliberate or not, but it certainly played well to the introductory nature of the discussion. Personally, I don't see a practical future in static web development that doesn't use something like Vue. 
In fact, a similar framework that doesn't require Webpack for components would do very well here, as components alone for reusable page elements are simply a no-brainer. This was a great start to my Friday morning, and I've come away with a new blog to follow. And that, of course, that's one of the reasons I asked Sean to do that show originally, is that I know he's worked in all of the frameworks. And so he's totally resistant to the one right way mindset. And he likes to try everything. Yeah. So, Aaron, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And send us a tweet. We view them. And we often oh. react to them. Oh, save me. But we don't ever, we don't ever recode them. Well, I was worried. I was concerned about the angular you were taking on this oh, question. Oh, jeez, so no. that's an oldie. In fact, all of these were moldy oldies. <laughs> There's something about cliches and they work. Okay, well, Sean Wilder. I know I'm funny. Deep in my heart, I know I'm funny. Deep in my heart, sir, I know I'm funny. Uh <laughs> All right, let's bring on Sean. Sean Wildermuth has been tinkering with computers and software since he got a VIC-20 back in the early 80s. As a Microsoft MVP since 03, he's also involved with Microsoft as an ASP.NET insider and client dev insider. He's the author of over 20 Pluralsight courses, written eight books, an international conference speaker, and one of the wilder minds. You can reach him at his blog at wildermuth.com w-i-l-d-e-r-m-u-t-h.com he's also making his first feature-length documentary about software developers today called hello world the film and you can read more about that at helloworldfilm.com welcome back sean wildermuth thank you so much i'm so excited to be here uh, you know the i was listening to the uh, uh the reader the commenter that uh, you know I, I, I do think you should get someone on here that knows Vue. Um, that would be a really good idea. <laughs> oh, that didn't hurt my feelings at all. Um, no. <laughs> I didn't read that comment. I thought it was, you know, unnecessarily nasty, really. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm used to it. I'm used to it. I've been called worse. Well, I, I think it comes right into what we were saying is that there are true, there's these zealots, there are true believers in each of these platforms and the idea that you would pick a middle ground, which I thought you did on that show, yeah, uh, I hope so. where it's like, hey, this is not right for everybody or everything, mm. just is anathema to some people. They, they go wild because you, when you say something like that. Yeah, yeah it, when I talk about view at, at conferences, there's always about eight people who when I mention Angular, get up, and clearly they wanted to bash Angular later. And I try to get that out of the way with this little slide I have. <laughs> and they uh, get up and walk out. Yeah. <laughs> just get out now. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not here like, to – that's, that's not what this is for. Uh, you know, so, I've had situations with certain speakers and certain conferences where they go after the other framers. They're like, listen, this is not acceptable. It's not how you do business, and it's not, it's not real life. If the, no. if the tools didn't work, no one would use them. The tools work. And also, you know, the right tool in the right place. And mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting. I was also listening to about the visual recode tool and the idea of moving WCF over to uh, uh, gRPC um, is one of those places where I'm afraid that everyone's going to go, rest is dead, gRPC for everywhere. And, right. Um I don't know why I keep on picking topics that are I need to find a middle ground for, but that might be my role. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you you know there's always the disease of one right way, and yeah. the tendency to just go look. There's clearly not one right way. Yeah, I still know of software out there that's living happily with remoting. Yeah. <sighs> oh, oh, remoting shutter. <laughs> well, everything's well and fine until you need to debug something. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, it, it kind of reminds you know. I immediately thought of the binary formatter. Remember the binary formatter? Oh yeah. Which uh-huh. instead of using XML, we would compress it into this binary thing, and you couldn't view it. And and there is some similar goo magic in gRPC that I want to talk about. But first, maybe Sean, why RPC? Let's forget about Google RPC. Why RPC at all? What's the difference between uh, an RPC implementation architecture? And uh, you know a basic object-oriented regular microservice REST-based architecture. Well, it's interesting because the um, the concepts around RPC in itself actually go out uh, go back to the early '70s. So this isn't right. a new idea. You know, needing one machine to be able to call a procedure on another machine. I mean, we don't really write procedures anymore. I'm putting air quotes because I think you can hear them. Yeah, but. Uh, um, uh, but it's still that concept of being able to, you know, have machines talk to each other. And uh, RPC still works in a lot of ways. The, the the difference really is that we have these semantics in the way the HTTP 1 and 1.1 1, 1 work that REST fits into beautifully, right? Because right, it's, right. it has these descriptions about the kinds of things we want to do. Mm. And in many ways, it's trying to get people away from thinking about things as um, – um, uh, not only procedure calls, but active remote remoted objects, mm-hmm. which a lot of a lot of developers still get sort of stuck in that. That oh, you're returning me this piece, and so I should be able to call a method on it, magically go over the wire, and everything should be fast, and mm-hmm. everything should be fine. We'll never lose an internet connection. We'll never like all this stuff gets complicated with it. And so, right. RPC in itself really is saying this is all we're doing, right? You're going to remotely call some code on another machine, and that's it. The, we're not being stateful. We're not ho- hanging on to that network connection for a year like we used to. None of that scales. And that, uh, you know, back in the 70s when they were doing RPC, it didn't scale because the speed of their connections was so slow that they would they would have never thought of trying to keep it open for, you know, a week. Well, those abstractions sure. kind of um, work well with the kind of uh, you know, get, put, post, delete kind of things. But I find that, you know, if people people don't understand what's a, a local resource versus what's a remote resource and things don't translate. You know, if you have some structure in memory in an API that you don't have access to and you've you've created this object and now you want to send that across the wire, uh, oops, where how does yeah. that work? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so at some point you need that, you know, that thing that serializes it into some magic code. It reminds me a lot of like just calling a a um SQL database, right? Hmm. We write th- this code that is, you know, set based and all that, you know, SQL or whether it's, you know, Microsoft's or Oracle's, but essentially it does the same thing. It takes this this format and then sends it across the wire often in a different format and then mm. we're like the details of how that stuff happens is all hidden to us right we make a a query 
it returns some data and we might keep the connection open or closed uh, depending on what you're doing but there's not a lot of um, there's not a lo lot of ways to uh, do gotchas until you get into you know more advanced things like cursors right and then you know you're playing with your own fire and so right. trying to think about it in a way that some developers you know because of ORMs fewer and fewer developers no sequel but uh, that's a whole nother show um being able to think about it as more messaging because the, the, the nature of what we're doing is trying to be stateless and trying to be uh, a shorter connection as possible. Right. Yeah. So we're eff effectively in rest and in gRPC, especially still sending messages. It's just uh, gRPC isn't made to just fit into sort of the crud idea. Okay. Right. The, that sort of forms over data mindset, which is, I mean, admittedly, a lot of work, but it's not all of the work. Correct. Correct. It, every time I do a REST course, one of the sections I, I do is operational REST calls. And basically, I have to say, this breaks what everyone thinks as perfectly RESTful, and that's fine, right? Uh, it's pragmatic mm -hmm. REST is the way I sort of talk about it. Yeah. See, this is why everyone thinks you're a heretic, Sean. This pragmatism thing, this is never going to go well. <laughs> I know. I know we're going to get letters. <laughs> Are, are you talking about get like nasty grams? Here they come. Are you talking about like using get to do an operation that isn't anything that you're really going to get? You just want it to, you just want it to work, and so get seems like the the rest action that fits the best. It could be. Usually, I talk about using one of the other verbs, like options, is one I uh, often will suggest people use instead. So it's very clear you're not doing a guess, get, post, put, patch, delete. Mm. Um, but having another verb that goes, oh, I can match to, you know, let's say the options verb, and then you know it's a weird one-off thing. And if you right. have more it's than an a, exception of a, some kind. a handful of these, you're probably doing RPC, not doing REST anymore. Right. Because <laughs> as I understand it, the claim to fame of gRPC is the streaming feature. Yeah. In a lot of ways, the ability to hang on top of HTTP2's ability to have a stream of data bidirectionally or unidirectionally in either right. direction is a huge win. And it's a huge win for certain kinds of applications. Yes. But it's not the be-all, end-all of anything. No, no. I see a lot of applications not using streaming at all and still using gRPC. Where mm -hmm. One of the places, I was talking with uh, some of the people at Microsoft about this, and they sort of opened my eyes to the idea of a place where G, uh, gRPC is a really good fit is uh, uh, inter-container um, messaging. So okay. if you're building microservice or you're still building building tiers, you have to have a good, efficient way to talk um, between these these um, um, different uh, containers in those systems or these different boxes even. But people are using messaging things like, you know, uh, service bus or event hub, uh, that kind of thing uh, for, for messaging that where you have a, a queue, you know, a rabbit or whatever. The GRPC Absolutely. doesn't take the place of a queue, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't. Because the idea here is, you know, I don't want to say real-time messaging because that's that's a that's a dangerous word to use. Right. But it's where you're doing, uh, you know, things at a certain time. Oh, I got a call in and I need to 
go tell this other part of my system that knows how to do these things to do them. Right. You could use queues to do to to do those as well, but you could see something like gRPC, like, oh, we we uh, we've hit some. We have a background worker that says, oh, we've we've hit some um, uh, time deadline. Let's uh, free all the caches across the cluster. Mm. Right. And that gRPC would be great for that because you wouldn't just want to necessarily um, um, put that in a queue, but they're all related in a lot of ways. Right. One is whether it's asynchronous or synchronous, really. If you think about queues as being more asynchronous than that. Right. So I guess you would think of a, a gRPC endpoint just like an API endpoint. That it is an API endpoint. Yeah. So if you're going to call it, you take your chances on that server being available to handle it right then and wait right. appropriately. But if you want to scale it up, you put a queue in between them. Right, absolutely. And it, that's not a you know that's not black and white, but that's certainly an approach that would be you know somewhere in the middle. Yeah. The what the other place that I see gRPC being very interesting is in IoT because one of the benefits of gRPC is that it's lightweight. That the parsing is a lot uh, lighter weight than something like JSON because it's this binary format that. Um, is ordinal based, so the the messages e- even when it's not binary, but when it's binary, are really small and cheap to uh, deserialize or serialize. Uh, so IoT, where you have limited resources, can still be able to do these calls pretty quickly. So cheap on the bandwidth and cheap on the compute. Absolutely, and I think mm-hmm. the compute's even more important in that case. The mm-hmm. band you can't ignore bandwidth. Um, the example I'm using for the upcoming course is is a site that sends weather from weather stations. So the the little Raspberry Pi or whatever the device is sitting on, you know, a, a bunch of uh, weather measurements out on top of a building somewhere. You you want them to be robust. You're not going to put a whole PC out there where you have a ton of memory and you have a ton of CPU. You want yeah. something really efficient. And GPRC is perfect in that case. GRPC? But, did you mean? I did uh, gRPC. I'm going to say that a lot. <laughs> just you know, right that. now we can we'll just declare a function that says every time we make this combination of letters, it means gRPC. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm. Uh, I don't know where PRC comes from. Uh, it's the People's Republic of China. <laughs> In prep for the uh, uh, for the podcast, I actually went and looked. Uh, it occurred to me like. I don't know what GPRC means. I know what RPC means, obviously, but I don't know what the G is for. And uh, very curiously on the grpc.io website, which is sort of the open source home for it, it has a little question, you know, what does it mean? And it they say grpc means grpc remote procedure call, sort of wink, wink. Of and course. so I think we can all agree that it just stands for Google, right? Yeah, it stands for Google. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure that someone got in trouble for it being released before someone renamed it. But uh, um, one of the things I like about about it is it's not quite as open as REST is, but it's really open. So it's it's not really made for servers to websites. And there's a bunch of things in that way um, that just don't make that story very compelling. Mm-hmm. Um but gRPC being open source, more importantly, it's broadly supported by different languages. So you can write Rust and Go and obviously C Sharp, C++, Python. They all have generators for the this stuff. Um, so if you, 
if you're in an organization where you need your your Android app to write a little Java wrapper so that it can call a gRPC, you can do that. If you're in an organization that's heavily invested in in Rust, you can have Rust generate the you know a a a client or a server to be able to communicate with it. And so it's it has broad adoption across across a lot of ecosystems, which is always a good sign. There's a lot of companies using it that you probably heard of. Square, Netflix, CoreOS, yep. Cisco. And I was just double checking, like Rust isn't part of the, the group of ten that's mentioned on the website, but there is absolutely a Rust implementation in GitHub. If you want one, just go get it. Yeah. And that's the thing is is there's not it's not just that it's easily implementable, but people have. Like they Yeah. Uh, it's it, it's a great proof point, right? Yeah. When the non-core team can build a meaningful add-in that other people use, you you've got a real project here. Like that's something sustainable. Absolutely. I I actually got confused because there's a bunch of uh code out there for building this sort of um um client in JavaScript. And I I didn't realize until much later it was really for Node because uh the big limitation is HTTP2 in browser is just not there right now. So what about WebAssembly? Are we going to be able to, is it a good idea even to do uh, RPC from browser to browser? I could imagine it not being a terribly bad idea. Just the difference here is I think RPC is about procedure calls versus CRUD. Yeah. And so I don't really see it competing. I see it as this adjunct. It's this thing that you can sit uh, right beside your REST implementation. Because of the way the contracts work, you're not going to want to just have Bob call your gRPC service. You're going to have some relationship there. Um, whereas, uh, you know, REST, I think, will continue to be that open way of of allowing anyone to get at your API in in some very traditional way. Whether it's REST or it might become even GraphQL as the way that people write these sort of open systems to getting at stuff across the web, mm-hmm. I think gRPC has its place when you really need that uh, highly connected and in some ways um, uh, easier to protect people from running into because gRPC isn't coming over port 80 or port 443. It's coming over very specific ports that you need to. Uh, that you may need to open depending on what port you're using. So getting back to the G in gRPC, probably it stands for Google mostly because gRPC by default uses protocol buffers, which Correct. is Google. Yeah. That's, that's a, uh, yeah. That's well, and it was, it's derived from Google's internal language, uh, internal protocol stubby, right? Like they're pretty honest about, yeah, hey, yeah, there's yeah. a bunch of oh, Google yeah. guys working on a problem. And we thought, hey, other people have this problem. I mean, that's but, that's where Angular comes from too, right? Yeah. It was an internal library before it was a public library. Right. And I can Absolutely. see them not wanting to emphasize the Google part of it, you know, yeah, because that too. makes it uh, somewhat proprietary sounding. Yeah. And they're really pushing how o- open source and universal this is. And so I think that part's important. But protocol buffers are a big part of where of how gRPC works. And protocol buffers is just a way to describe interfaces. Um, and so it has a way of defining what a service looks like and what messages look like. And that's kind of it. But it's also right? the serializers, isn't it? Well, it's what the serializers use. So it it defines the way that the serialization actually happens. But in it, 
you're actually specifying, uh, let's say, a message that has a three fields. You're actually specifying what the ordinal position of each of those fields, and then that is used for the serialization. And when you want to make a client to a server, that protocol buffer becomes that interface definition language for it. That is what the... Or the serialized version of your request or whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, because it's binary, it's kind of hard if you don't have the map to to see what's inside the the binary uh, version of it. Right. So, uh, you, so you need the dot proto file. That's the map. That's the map. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the map that you program against, and the ma map that the clients are created from. W one thing that some people will love and some people will hate about it. It's sort of one of these divisive things. Is that GRPC relies a lot on code gen. And so because it's generating code for the clients and the servers in many cases to hide these details, it means that you have to trust the underlying code gen to do what you want it to do. You're basically overriding pieces as you're implementing a, a server or um, uh, uh, you know, getting the definition of what the different message types for a client. And some people are like, oh, that's awesome because that means I don't have to write all those model classes anymore. Other people are like, I don't have control over my model classes I don't anymore. Know. I, so, I think the majority of our listeners would be used to that kind of thing. You Well, if, if you come from sort of the WCF world, absolutely. If you come from the web world, maybe not because the, the idea of – of creating, you know, those those classes for the messages that you're sending across the wire is something that's very comfortable for Node developers and for uh, certainly anyone that's done a web API uh, and hasn't done uh, WCF. Um, I think WCF is a good model if you're familiar with it because WCF, while it can do web um, APIs, a lot of its usage is not. It's it's in inter-process or inter-machine communication, and that's really where I think gRPC sits well. That's why the the um, Visual Recode's conversion from WCF to gRPC I think is is pretty brilliant because they map really well together. And Sean, I'm going to interrupt you for just a moment for this very important message. Are you struggling to replicate the bugs and performance issues customers are reporting? Plug Raygun into your web and mobile apps right now and diagnose problems in minutes rather than hours. Kiss goodbye to having to dig through log files and relying on frustrated users to report issues. Make your software development life so much easier using Raygun's error, crash, and performance monitoring tools. Every software team can create flawless software experiences for their customers with Raygun. Try it free today at raygun.com. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. This is Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. We're talking to our friend Sean Wildermuth. We're talking a little gRPC. And it, I, I totally get what you're saying in the first half there about, you know, the, the webby guys with their non, their dynamic typing and so forth will just sort of figure it out and ignore it if you can't figure it out approach, which is very flexible and friendly, is also rather compute and bandwidth intensive. And, and here we are with something that's a little more constrained. It's putting a few more rules in place, ordinal position matters, you know, that kind of thing to lighten that load to some degree. But I, I think WCF is a bit more, even more extreme there. Although I would never consider WCF particularly bandwidth or compute efficient. 
it's the it was the transactional rules and the security rules. Like that's the things that people wanted when they went to WCF. Well, because this is uh, hosted inside essentially a small web server when you need it, like it would be Kestrel and in, in .NET or uh, Apache and other languages. Uh, it's using as those transport and those channels, things that work across web servers naturally. And so unlike the WCF, which needed to kind of invent a lot of this stuff, instead of it being baked into IIS, like it might've needed to be, a lot of it ends up being procedural code, which is why it's not necessarily incredibly fast in WCF. Um, though they gain a lot of benefits in WCF when you get down to serialization for the same reasons that Jeep are, RPC does as well because of this binary serialization that can depend on ordinal in WCF because the WSDL says this is the order of the the field. They're they're not doing the same sort of uh, JSON mapping that that we see most websites use. Right, Sean. What about off? Can we use uh, off uh, OAuth or uh, OIDC with this stuff or the stuff that we're used to using? Yeah, in in the .NET space, and I haven't really spent a lot of time in in the Node or or Java space, so I'm 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 a little ignorant on on that sense. But in the .NET space, it's the same authorization channels that you would use with a regular website, and so the same authorization middleware that works for Web API or or um, MVC also work with gRPC. So if you're already using the you know whether it's Web tokens, whether it's um, um, Jot. <laughs> yeah. Or just cookies. I mean, I, I don't ever suggest just cookies for an API, but all of that stuff, it hangs on top of the same, um, um, on top of the same, uh, middleware and endpoint stuff that's in ASP.NET 3.0. And so it just, it just works. You do need to opt into the gRPC is going to use them, but that's a, that's a flag when you set it up. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty simple in that way. And it has the same sort of metadata that y- you can include and interrogate. Though I think for auth in a lot of these cases, you're probably going to use certificates because when you, if you, if you are going to do like within your, to make these calls within your, uh, um, um, uh, within your own data centers, for lack right. of a better word, or even IoT devices, right. Uh, certificates are just going to be simpler uh, and yeah. more secure instead of having to. And you're specifically meaning client certs, stuff. so that you're using the yeah. client cert as the identifier. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Which just, I mean, you it, you generally don't do that with browsers, but with virtually everything else, the, especially devices you're controlling, this is such a simple solution. If you have that cert, that's who you are. Yeah. Yeah, and then it. And then you don't end up having to keep secrets, right? You don't have to right. figure out how to store secrets so people can get it. Like it just, it simplifies that, you know, even though most developers, when I go, well, maybe you should think about certificates and you just see their eyes, you know, go. <laughs> no, make the bad man stop. Yeah. I don't, that scares me. It's not bad. Yeah. It's not, it's no. not. Um, no, it, but I would also say it could be a hell of a lot easier. True. Like I don't, I still don't get why Microsoft certainly hasn't ended this whole thing with, "Hey, are you using Azure? How many certs would you like? Like, why? Why they they don't need the money, right? They make money elsewhere. Like, just just issue certs like they're going out of style. Be the cert authority, exactly, and 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 integrate it into the tools so that it's just happening. 
right? That all, you know, you, you, it's easy to do. I end up doing that with all my certs in Azure because I know that I could probably save a little money by doing them. But when I'm yes. like, I could save $20 or spend 30 minutes, I I have to admit. And that 30 minutes is actually three hours and a week later you find out you did it wrong? That yeah. one? Yeah. Been That's there. the scary part. Yeah. The, AKA the free cert approach, right? It's like, yeah. Exactly. They, yeah. So much pain would be eliminated if they were doing the free certs as simply part of the service. I agree, but they're the, they're in the business of making money, of chasing. Yeah, but making AWS, money using so like, Azure is the way to go. Making money yeah. torturing people over certificates, not the way to go. <laughs> no, I agree. I totally agree with you there. And and the more important thing is just that integrate. If they were free, they'd be so integrated into all of our tools that you would simply you it would be on by default because it's not costing anybody anything. Absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, so the rant the, off. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> sure, you're preaching to the choir. All right, yeah, we're all in violent agreement here. Uh, so the. The binary serialization is also something that um, scares some developers because they like JSON because they can read it and figure out what's yeah. going on. And uh, when you're running uh, in debug in ASP.NET at least, and I think this is true for most of the other clients, they have they actually use a textual format that basically is a list of the values with their ordinal positions. So it isn't quite as um, uh, uh, as nice to read as JSON. But it's really readable. It's really readable. It's just not. It just doesn't have feeling. Just because it says binary doesn't mean it's a bunch of Unicode characters. Right. Right. So uh, um, it makes development still pretty easy to to sort of watch that. And because it's using the web stack, you can you can throw an interceptor and see what's on there. If if even if you're not running in debug, so there's you know there's just a lot of opportunity for for doing it, it uh, in a pretty simple way, as far as I'm concerned. And so uh, in, in most cases, I think right now, with what I know right now, which I'm sure is going to change, GPRC is so new in general, especially to the .NET space, that I think it's going to evolve and we'll see where it goes. But right now it really feels like uh, I, I'm going to host GPRC um, GRPC. I did it again. GRPC. Yeah, you've done it more than once. I'm keeping a tally. <laughs> <laughs> I should go every time you say it. I'm not. Uh, yeah, just, uh, I don't want to interrupt your flow. Like you're talking about good stuff here. So yeah, you, everybody knows what you mean, Sean. I know. I know. Uh, I wish you were as. Uh, wish my Pluralsight editors were as nice as you are. Um, that's going to be the really bad one. Yeah, it's um, going to be tough. But, but I like that in the 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 implementation that that Microsoft's done is that you can just add gRPC uh, endpoints to your existing web app or API servers, right? It's just mm. another endpoint that they're going to be listening on. It isn't, I have to have this special kind of machine that does gRPC, and then I have all my API servers, and then my web servers. Like it's, it, it, it can sit right next to it with literally two lines of code once you've written right. the actual service. Um, and that to me is exciting because then we don't have to, you know, sort of worry about, um, we don't have to worry about, you know, this new class of kinds of things we're creating. Yeah. It, and it should just be, it, it isn't just simple to, to involve and doesn't no. require new tools, then it, it's going to be great. Right. Hopefully, hopefully we'll see, we'll, we'll see what the uptake is. I, 
I think the people that realize that WCF is probably not coming to .NET 5, this is a good solution for them. And so we're, I think we're going to have a number of people sort of latch on to this. But, um, and then the sort of people that are building uh, canonical websites, I think they're going to come to it a little slower, but I think they're going to get there when they start to realize some of the, the benefits, especially when it comes to like bi-directional streams and being able to do things that um, will allow them to, to, to better stream larger um, blocks of information back and forth. One of the points that I talked to Microsoft about was where does gRPC fit into the uh, SignalR story? Because ah. in some ways, it sounds like a very similar sort of thing. Sure. Maintaining connection, streaming effects, yeah. Yeah. The thing that uh, gRPC doesn't do out of the box, which uh, SignalR does, and that is multicasting, right? And so going from a server someplace to a bunch of different clients at once, mm-hmm. um, SignalR is the natural um, protocol for that. The thing about uh, SignalR is that we're only starting to get sort of the um, uh, universal support for it, right? Uh, it has to be written in .NET right now, and the clients right now have to be JavaScript, C Sharp, or or Java, which encompasses a ton of people, but it isn't quite as universal as, as gRPC is. So they're not they're not really in a, a competition space in that sense. It's more about letting clients know about these notifications and be able to multicast out. And that's just not what gRPC is built for. Right. Yeah. Things that are good, things that it's good at, things that it aren't. And I, I appreciate that. But I really get the sense what you've been saying is like, this is for inter-process communication and it should be really good at that. Yeah. And inter-server communication, inter-process communication. And to me, uh, uh, the, the, the low-powered communication whether that's iot or there are probably some other cases for it but where the efficiency of it is going to be important or that you don't want to necessarily have to open up uh you know uh, um the uh findable you know rest endpoints for any of this stuff that's the other thing that sort of is exciting to me is that you can choose just by reading the binary it's going to be really hard to tell what the interface is underneath it uh, and of course, all these all these different languages, but it, it just looks like this is just a normal, simple addition. How hard do you see we talked what we talked about at the beginning of the show taking existing WCF apps and moving the to, to gRPC? I think the taking the WCF to gRPC for the service itself super simple. The right. the protocol buffer language is very simple to to understand and learn. Um, it doesn't have that many pieces to it that people will be confused. It's really what people have laid on top of WCF that we don't have a good story for right now. So when you start right. to think about the WS star stuff, yes, uh, that's the hard part, right? Because gRPC isn't trying to solve any of that. And well, so nobody's if you're, trying to solve any of that anymore, right? I mean, there right. lies the real problem. If you've used transaction, if you're actually doing transactional coordination in WCF, there's no equivalent no. that I know of. No. Not until you get into like big servers and Yeah. But even even then, you know, I, I the story has been we shouldn't do that. Like 
these are things that maybe you keep in complex someplace. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, that's, it's all well and fine until you've got 100,000 lines of code that you own that do right. a transaction coordination like this. You're like, how would we decompose this? Yeah. I know people in this situation. Like, I don't envy anyone looking at this and going, Mm-mm. wow, WCF is not going to go forward. And we have all this code that was so important that we went to all this pain for all these transactions. Yep. Yeah. But you got 15 years out of it, maybe? I don't remember when WCF was introduced. Uh, well, and it's also not like WCF is going to burst into flames next month either, right? It's yeah. true. I don't know. It's smoking. <laughs> it's definitely smoking. That's yeah, funny. We we don't know how far in the future it's going to be before we actually run into a, oh, you can't upgrade now because you still depend on WCF. Right. And uh, that day is going to happen, but it doesn't mean that all code, code needs to be changed. You know, all the BB6 that's still out there, all the, uh, the what do they call it, classic ASP or ASP. we've used classic too many times now. Like Coke classic. Or wow classic. <laughs> classic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm like wondering, a- what we, we don't know yet is who is the U.S. Navy of WCF, right? Like the U.S. Navy has forcibly kept XP alive. They right. pay Microsoft a non-trivial two comma number every year to keep patches yeah. going into XP because they've got ships depending on it for crying out loud mm. yeah but absolutely and wcf is one of those techs where there's some fortune 25 company out there with a big old commit on wcf and they're and at some point they're, they're you know they're going to reach over to microsoft and say hey <laughs> you need to keep that working <laughs> thanks yeah <laughs> yeah maybe my friend george washington will convince you to keep that working <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that's always been the joke with Microsoft, right? Like, they make these pronouncements about this is going to go away, we're going to do this now. You know, they they try and tell the parade which way to go. And when the parade marches a different direction, they still run in front. Right. So, you know, if we insist on... People keep depending on this in a big way, and they and they're you know sort of past that threshold and spend that money. It's going to... It's not, like I said, it's not like it's going to burst into flames. It's... I mean, I, in my opinion, and maybe I should go dig someone out of the team somewhere. I think WCF has been in maintenance mode for a long time. It's yeah, just been maintained, kept patched, kept running on, made sure it still worked with current OSs and current tools, which is not a small thing. I mean, that's a team of people working steadily to keep that stuff fed. But when's the last time you looked and wanted and were excited about a new feature in WCF? Right. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. One thing I do like that sort of that that GRPC has brought back, I was actually like, where is that? Um, is that you uh, you make a reference to it with the uh, uh, add surface reference, which I honestly hadn't used in since I I guess the last time I used it was in WCF maybe ten years ago, and I was like, is that still an option in Visual Studio? And of course I found it, and and so uh, not just for the WCF people, but this sort of ease of building this. Of of just saying, let me point to the server, or point more importantly to the the proto file, and it'll build that client for me. And it's using that same option so that people don't have to go find this new add GPRC reference. It's just in the add surface reference where um, you know the HTTP stuff always was. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That make that totally makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and I like the way you position it. It makes sense that it's going to work this way. And it's one of the options when you're looking at existing code and saying, "What you know? Well, how do I want to migrate this?" Yeah. For for the mi- migration, I think you know it comes to um, new code. I think they're you know especially people looking at microservices. It's almost a no-brainer to look at this instead of exposing more REST calls on more machines that are have more exposure, you know, to the outside world. Because um, that's one of the things with REST is it isn't this unknown port. It's 80 or 443, right? Right. It's the most contaminated ports in the world. I mean, the upside yeah. to them, and I'm wearing my IT hat, is they're almost certainly open. So as an IT, right. as a dev, you're like, good, I don't have to talk to IT because those guys are mean, right? <laughs> right. Where if you are going R- using gRPC and you are going to use other ports, it is a conversation with IT, but it's a rational one because you do right. know what the endpoints are going to be. Yeah, I don't mind exactly. opening a, a, a port as long as I'm not opening it out to the world and I know right. what surfaces I'm exposing when I do it. Yeah, and it still uses cores and some of the other things to try to limit who can get access to them and max message size so you can't be flooded. Like all of that stuff sure. is still there. So uh, yeah, and, it, and, it's this and weird thing. You that, know, the, the trick to going to a security guy and saying, hey, I want to make a change to the network topology is you got to be able to answer those questions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And because it's going on HTTP2, it means that it has to be secured. Like right. it has to be uh, TLA. You yeah, can't. You can't do TLS it or TLS. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. It's three letter Ackerman versus ah. transport layer security. Close, but you know. The, the older I get, the more uh, acronyms start to baffle me. I think. Re- I think remote procedure call versus People Republic of China. Okay. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My uh, my wife's first name is actually an acronym, so it's. I'm just. There's too Doesn't many. help. No. <laughs> Does not help. She'll love that I mentioned her on the show. She always does, yeah. She's <laughs> lovely. I know, I know and the as I can tell her only real character flaw, she hangs around with you. That oh. is. Uh, I've tried to talk her out of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So are you doing a plural site series on, on GRPC? Yeah, yeah. We're hoping to have it out a little bit after .NET Core ships to make awesome. sure we have so- all the... All the final bits, yeah. Sometime um, in October, that's great. Yeah, it should be uh, early October. It should be available, depending on you know how long it takes them to review and publish it and push the videos out. That's all. Well, and we're presuming Microsoft's going to make their dates of the end of September for .NET Core three, so we'll find yeah. out. <laughs> we will. We will. We'll of course, see. I don't. I don't know. That there's likely to be any major breaking changes. Not like oh, at the last minute we changed this and this, and now you know the implementation for gRPC has to be completely different. That seems unlikely. Yeah, it does. But I would yeah. like to at least get the the uh, the uh, um, temporary versions out of all the all the uh, project files. <laughs> Sean, how's your movie going? It's going really well. We just had our second. Um, um, uh, pre-screening test screening there's the word I was looking for okay um, and so I'm excited that we're getting pretty close we're uh, so you, you switched we, from the ending where everyone lives to the sw- ending where everyone dies now and that's it, gotten better reviews it, 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 in fact it has <laughs> <laughs> 
In fact, actually, uh, we 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 learned that the less my face is on screen, the better. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> like us, you get a face made I, for radio. It yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting thing. We're still um, shooting for the end of the year to get the final cut done and get uh, the uh, streaming versions out to all the supporters on Seed and Feed that help, has have helped us make the film. And then we're going to be taking it to festivals next year to try to get it on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or, at worst case, YouTube. Like we'll find a home for it, but uh, hopefully it'll be on a on a, a widely available streaming provider. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that it. is awesome. Well, uh, did we cover everything you wanted to, Sean? We did. Fantastic. I'm going to go get me some GPRC, man. <laughs> you should. <laughs> oh, the GPRPC. G-R-C-R-P-C-R-P-C-R-A-P? Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks. It's been fun hanging with you. Absolutely. All right, cool. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.